Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. This week, I am joined by a very special guest. As you all know, I drink a lot of Texas wine, and I've been trying to have uh, Texas wine growers and winemakers on the show a little bit more. We've had you know, other winemakers and wine growers from out of state, but for some reason, I've had a hard time pinning down Texas growers. And today, I've got um, Rowdy from uh, Bolin Vineyards here to talk about both growing grapes in Texas and making wine in Texas. Because from what I understand, Rowdy, you just recently have uh, started getting into, I guess, commercial winemaking. Yeah, we, we were part of uh, another winery uh, for about the last two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And uh, we parted ways with, with that winery, and, and we were able to keep some of the Merlot that we, uh, we had started with them. And, and yeah, we're starting our own uh, tasting room and a uh, little production facility and uh, just doing uh, limited production wines. That's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, you and I, I think we sort of met roundabout way through uh, Ricky at Alta Marfa. Oh, yeah, man, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, after you and I started chatting a little bit on Twitter, I just got kind of excited about what you guys are doing out there. I've got a couple of friends in Lubbock. You know, I'm new to Texas. I'm actually from California originally, um, but uh, I, I made a couple of friends out in Lubbock and realized that as I was buying all of these, like, really great Texas Hill Country wines, when you actually look on the bottle, a lot of them are grown in Texas High Plains, that's correct, yeah. And they and then they bring the grapes down there and make them down there and it's you know it's a pretty area so uh they it, you know makes sense to have have your tasting rooms and stuff down there. Um how did you end up getting into grape growing? You know, I, I before we did our 10 second pause, I referenced another show that you were on and I thought you had a really interesting story. Uh you want to get into a little bit of like how did you get into grape growing and like what are you, what are your roots in the in the grape growing and winemaking I guess industry? Yeah, sure. So um, you know my my uh, my family's been heavily involved in agriculture for a really long time. Uh, we we ran uh, sheep and goats on our ranches south of Midland, and um, we, I started riding horses when I was um, about four or five, and getting out working with my granddad. And uh, you know we we'd move sheep in and we'd shear and we'd uh, keep some lambs and and take some use to to the uh, auction and and so it, agriculture has kind of been in my blood for a really long time and um my next door neighbor he uh was on a, a wheat harvest he owned a a combining company and so they would go you know from wheat field to wheat field and they would they would pick up contracts and one uh one place they stopped at was near neil newsom's vineyard uh, out in plains oh okay and started talking to neil about growing grapes and why he grew grapes and uh and uh, it, it just kind of uh, it kind of grew, man. We we started talking, and he's like, man, he said, you know, there's a real need for these grapes. They don't have nearly enough for all the Texas wineries to be able to, uh, you know, make Texas wine with. And he's like, man, we really should kind of do something with that, with because uh, we, we only own like uh, 15 acres here. Okay. And uh, so I, w- I was gonna, you know, just fence it off and you know have 20 head of, of sheep and just, you know, try to have a, a few lambs here and there. And, and, uh, men, next thing you know, here we are planting wine grapes and, uh, talked with the extension service. We did a lot of research, uh, talked with the extension service and we were going to plant cab originally. And they're like, man, if you're a first time grower, let's, let's plant something easier. Let's plant Merlot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're like, all right, sounds great. It, he, he literally called it the training wheels of grapes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> 
And so as a first-time grower, you're like, man, training wheels of grapes. That sounds like uh, <laughs> the best thing for a brand-new wine grower to uh, to get involved in. Mm-hmm. And um, we visited uh, a little vineyard uh, south of our, our house. It's about seven miles south of our place. It's called Martin Vineyard, and it's one of the oldest uh, commercial wine grower uh, wine grape vineyards in, uh, in the Texas High Plains. It was planted back in the 1970s by a guy named Andy Martin, mm-hmm. and um, who... Uh, was stationed here at Reese Air Force Base for a long time. Oh, okay. And Andy lives in Houston, and uh, this vineyard uh, has uh, old vine cab uh, that's probably about the trunks are probably about as as big as my thigh is. They're just massive. They're like trees. Wow. And uh, so it was really a unique place for us to to go and just kind of stroll through the vineyard, look at it, and and see what it looked like. And we're like, man, this is this is this is. A, a fantastic experience to be able to walk through this and, and try to get, um, you know, a, a little bit of knowledge about they're planting on, you know, every four feet and these, these rows are 10 feet wide. And so we started using some of the aspects of what we had seen at this, at this vineyard mm-hmm. and started kind of planning what we were going to do for our own. And, uh, it just, it kind of snowballed from there. We, we planted an acre in 2010. We planted another acre in 2011. And then we branched out. We planted Malbec in 2012. And then, uh, last year we planted a uh, Mouved for my oh, daughter, wow. who's, uh, uh 16. So she's uh, she's got a little Mouved vineyard that we'll make into a rosé, and uh, it's for uh, a 4-H FFA project uh, called Record Book. Cool. And uh, so she has to have a she has to start a business, and then uh, you know show expenses and and profits and and they're my our ag teacher at Smire he came to me and he's like man he said nobody he said I guarantee nobody in the state of Texas has has a record book that's done on viticulture he's like let's do one and let's get your daughter some scholarships and we're like yeah sounds great man we were you know <laughs> we're we'll just make it into wine and continue to use it once she graduates from high school and he's like perfect that's great yeah. so uh, we plan to move Ed since so for her and uh, yeah so when she's a senior in high school she'll have you know, a hundred cases of, of Mouved Senso Rosé that uh, she'll she'll have under under her wing, and it'll be under our Bowling Vineyards brand. Oh man, that that's gonna be that, man. That what a great experience that you can give your daughter for that. Yeah, that's that's so cool. And and on Twitter the other night, you know, um, I mentioned that we were doing a, a, a FFA record book, mm-hmm. and the. Uh, extension agent for our for hockley county uh-huh. he's like dude he said let's turn this into a 4-h record book as well too he said i guarantee nobody in the state of texas has a uh, a record book for 4-h so we just combined it and made it into an ffa 4-h record book now oh, i think that i think that's that's really really great opportunity that you've been able to give her that that's super cool and uh i i don't know that much about what grows great in uh texas but i've heard that now, how, how are you saying? I always, I've always said Morvedre, but I don't. You know, I think you, I think you can kind of say it any way you want to. It's like Malbec. Yeah. You know, I always call it Malbec, and some people call it Malbec. Yeah, I've always, and, I've also always said Malbec as well, but I don't know if you know, that's you know, just a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because you know, I, I, me, me, and my my co-host on this show, we're notorious for pronouncing everything incorrectly, and we we get messages all the time of people going like, "No, no, that's not the way it's said. It's said this way," and then they spell out, and we're like, "Oh, well, okay. I guess I guess that's it." Um, Man, if if I grow it, I get to call it whatever the hell I want to. Okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I think I, I mean I, that that sounds really cool. And now, are you? I, I've, I have a very very small experience uh, planting because I went out there and helped Ricky at Alter Marfa. Uh, Sweet. But uh, what is um, what are some like challenges with with now out in that part of Texas over in the in like the Lubbock area? It's all very very flat. What are some challenges that you guys have with planting grapes? Um, sure, man. Uh, you know, normally normally we would plant with like an auger. Uh-huh. And um, and you know you would drill what eleven hundred holes an acre. Yeah. And so we we switched to a uh, to where a tractor pulls a, a big disc and a, a big ripping shank, and we we welded a box together, mm-hmm. and we can plant like an acre uh, in a in an hour instead of an acre in like a day. Wow. Wow. I mean it, it goes so much faster. Yeah, because we when, and when we were out there and in, in uh, up there near Marfa, like we were, we had to dig the holes manually because you can't you can't get an auger in there. It's all oh yeah, it's all rocks. Well, and his soil is so much different than mine. You know, yeah. we we have a lot of sand here. We have a little bit of clay, a little bit of loam, mm-hmm. but the majority of it is uh, is sand. Okay, and so it, which is which is perfect conditions for for what we want to do. Right. The majority the majority of grape growing around here is is planted in sand, mm-hmm. and. Um, and that sand just allows the uh, the water to kind of filter through like it would naturally. Right. And so you don't have a whole lot of uh, water sitting around the root, and it doesn't. It, it kind of prevents root rot as well too. Oh, that's when, nice. Uh, when it's drier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think that that I've I've read this as well that um, this is a similar soil to which again another another place people don't really think of Texas as being such a high quality grape growing region, but it but it is. And same thing with like South Jersey. South Jersey grows really high quality grapes. Same thing. It's got this very sandy soil that it that can drain a lot of that water out. You run, you don't have as many problems as um, as other places. And and it's it's interesting too because you've got you've got such a different. Um, like just such a different mindset, you know. People think of of California with all of its rolling hills and all these vineyards and stuff like that. But you've got an area where you've got a where you can bring in a huge tractor and just do a whole bunch of land, and you're growing great grapes and producing fantastic wine. But you know, one of the challenges that uh, Texas has, and, and you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier, was uh, weather. And you guys are having right now hail and rain and stuff like that. Can you go into a little bit about uh, what the challenges are with keeping, fr- basically keeping fruit on the vine and not having your young plants destroyed? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, so it's 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 a huge challenge for us to to try to grow crops whenever you're you're fighting Mother Nature with with hail and with and with rain and and uh, sixty mile an hour winds that can really be destructive with mm-hmm. your vines. So. Um, with hail, you know we have we have hail nets, and I was visiting with a buddy who who has a, a vineyard south of Lubbock, and he had, he got hailed out last year, kind of like I did this year, mm-hmm. and started talking to him I'm like, hey Matt, how much are hail nets? And he he told me, and I was like, man, that's perfect. You know, once once we have a good crop this year, then you know I'll look at investing for some next year. And he's like, all right, cool. He said, here's here's the contact. Here's who you need to talk to. And then the next day you just get hammered and, yeah. you know, I talked to him and I'm like, man, how, how'd your vines fare? And he's like, like nothing ever happened. Wow. He's like, you can, you can stick your, we, we had a 60 mile an hour wind the other day and he's like, you can stick your hand underneath the nets and you can't feel the wind blowing through that net. He's wow. like, it is so protective. And, uh, he said, he has video of the hail just sitting there, just bouncing off the net, and it's not even—it's not even coming close to touching the vines whatsoever. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's something that, you know, personally we'll have to invest in. Yeah. And it, it also doubles as, as bird protection as well, too, because you can um, close pin the bottom of the of the nets and, and shut it off so that the birds can't can't get in. The birds oh, can yeah. eat about 10% of your crop in a week and uh, and really kind of wreak havoc on, on uh, your fruit production. So uh, that's – if you can, you know, knock out literally two birds with one stone, then that's obviously <laughs> something right. that, you know, should should certainly be, be looked at from, from a, a grape growing perspective. Mm-hmm. And that makes that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I had a small backyard uh, garden a while ago, and, and it was – uh, and I had, I had like eight vines planted, but they were, they were eating vines. They weren't wine vines. And, uh, sure. and it was same problem is the, the very first year, the very first year they fruited, all the grapes were gone. I didn't get a single one because the birds just came down and ate them. And I'm going, like, I had all these beautiful grapes. What happened to them? And you could just see these birds gorged on grapes, like hanging out by, by the vines. <laughs> and, and, it, and they'll start eating grapes when they, when they're not even fully yeah. ripe. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. It to us, it's it's a bitter. It's still a bitter taste, and it's still you know highly tannic and yeah, and got so much acid in it that it, it really hasn't developed. It's not matured yet, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah. So I mean, they'll they'll start eating them way way soon, yeah. way before they're they're mature and, and ready to be pulled off. Right. But how long how long up there can you guys leave the um, can you leave the grapes on the vines before they get too uh, too ripe? I think that all depends on the location. Okay. Uh, for for us, we we're in more of a clay soil, so we're more of like, and and I'm going to use this word very loosely, but our soil is more like Tuscany, where they have a lot mm-hmm. of clay and a lot of loam. Okay. Whereas uh, guys south of us down in Brownfield, they have a lot more sand, and so our Merlot is usually being harvested right at the very end of um, when white grapes are are being pulled off in uh, in in Terry County and, uh-huh. and Western Hockley County. So, so when everybody else is, is just now finally pulling off their Viognier or, or Riesling or Roussan, uh, you know, my Merlot is already at 26 or 27 brick. And it, yeah. I mean, it is, it is ready to go. If you, if you continue trying to, you know, mature it or hold on to it, it's going to start raisining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to the, to the point where you're, you're starting to lose, you're lose uh, fruit production. Was that, is so, that, I mean, is that due- I think it's just by location is okay. is, is how how things you know uh, differ, and I guess that's terroir more than right. Anything. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was that's what I was kind of getting at. Is that is that the terroir of your area? Is it because it's so hot, or is it that it's getting so much more sunlight direct, or it you don't it's know? It's just soil type. Just yeah. soil it's type. Just okay. a different different soil type. That makes that makes a lot. That makes sense. Okay, that, that's interesting. Um, so you know, one I, I keep I don't I don't, don't want to keep referencing back to the other show, but one of the things I thought was super interesting that you were talking about was the difference between growing Merlot and and Malbec. Yeah, and how much more difficult Malbec is than Merlot. And I thought that was really interesting because, like in my mind, kind of it's just you know a vine is a vine, and it's just if you have the right climate for it, it'll grow or it won't grow based on you know. I mean, obviously you have to do a lot of care and stuff too, but the way that you were describing it, like Merlot, sounds like a peach compared to <laughs> growing growing Malbec vine. It's absolutely true, man. Yeah, I mean, with with Merlot, we average anywhere from three to four tons of the acre, or we okay. did up until last year. Last year we had um, a bunch of necrosis where it was so hot during uh, bloom. That uh, we we lost the we lost a lot of fruit last year. Okay. But normally, on an average year, we have three to four tons to the acre. Whereas Malbec, you know, we pulled off three quarters to a ton uh, to the acre, and it uh, Merlot it, it grows evenly 
across the uh, cordon arm. Mm-hmm. It grows evenly upward. I mean, so all the shoots are, are about the same. Whereas Malbec, it'll push shoots from from all sorts of places that didn't even have a bud. It, it, I mean, literally grows like a jungle weed. We have to go in and thin it out and thin it out and thin it out. And it produces uh, uh, suckers from right. the ground. It'll produce suckers the entire summer. Wow. So you'll get rid of suckers in April. You'll get rid of suckers in May. You'll get rid of suckers in June and July and August. And I mean... It finally stops growing suckers in September, thankfully. But the entire year, it is, it is like, um, it's like one of the real housewives of Orange County. It's very high maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it requires it requires a lot of work. And um, when we first planted it in 20, uh, 2012, uh, we had a freeze that uh, that year, mm-hmm. and so everything that we had grown up was shot back to the ground, so we had to retrain everything. And then in 13, we had another freeze, so we had to retrain it again. And then 14, we had another freeze, so we had to retrain it again. So it's it's constantly just been a whole lot of a whole lot of training, a whole lot of work. And finally now we've got it on the cordon, uh, mm-hmm. on the cordon wire, and yeah. we were set up to have a really good year, probably a couple of tons of the acre, double what we would normally do. Yeah. And uh, and then the hail came in and wiped us out, and just like, oh man, I saw potential. I actually saw what what this thing could be, what what its potential was, and mm. um, and so you know, hopefully we can get back to that thing. But over the winter time, uh, I guess in October, mm-hmm. my uh, my daughter and I, we had gone out and we'd put out uh, ammonium sulfate near each one of the vines. We put out probably about a half a cup of, of fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And uh, rain soaked it in, which was great. And then in December we had a nine-inch snow, and that, it, that snow sat around <laughs> for about four or five days. And that's and crazy. Usually when it when it snows, it snows like an inch here or dusting or something like that. Yeah. But man, nine-inch snow that was that was pretty ridiculous for us. Oh yeah. And yeah. when the vines came out in March, uh, or at the at the end of March or the beginning of April, dude, they shot up like rockets, and there was fruit everywhere and you're like i see i've got to water these things in the winter time because they they really rely on moisture when you don't think they need moisture okay. because they're dormant and they're you know leafless or whatnot but man they really need moisture in the in the winter time okay that that makes a lot of sense so do you normally turn off your irrigation during the winter just because it's wetter it's well it's it's colder too and, and you oh. have the possibility of of uh you know your water line's busting and you have oh, to fix right. it whenever it's 20 something degrees outside. Yeah, and, yeah. and Lubbock's a little bit different than, I mean, just, just being where we are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it can get down mm-hmm. to below zero sometimes. Oh, and, right. uh, usually it's, usually it's in the, in the twenties or thirties. Yeah. But sometimes it can get between zero and 10 degrees. And one year it stayed uh, between zero and 10 degrees as the high for about four days. And Holy I mean, cow. that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty cold, dude. That is so, really I mean, cold. That's, yeah, uh, I mean, you you really run the risk of of uh, having to fix a lot of a lot of irrigation. Yeah, if you if you continue to water during the winter time. Okay, okay, well that makes sense. But now one of the things too that that I recall that you mentioned was that even though the Malbec was very difficult to grow, you had a fantastic wine that won some awards that was made out of your Malbec um, and and I think blended by, by some people nearby you as well is that correct that's correct yeah we used to be partners with uh, in a winery called trilogy sellers and it was uh, 
it was our vineyard, uh, Bowling Vineyards, and um, Steve Newsom, who has uh, um, a monastery of vineyards, mm-hmm. and he's in Sundown. Okay. And then Chase Hill, who uh, has Crick Hill Vineyards, and he's just west of Leveland. So all three of us were based in Hockley County, and all three of us grew grapes around Leveland, which is about 25 miles west of, Lo- of Lubbock. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, we had this grand idea of just taking a, a, a ton of Malbec each and taking it uh, to be made into wine and then just kind of, you know, selling it and, and seeing what it did. And the next thing you know, um, Steve's like, well, I've got uh, Pinot Grigio and I've got um, Merlot and I've got some Malbec and I've got a little bit of Roussan and some Viognier. And you're like, Okay, and Chase is like, well, I've got this and I've got this. And I'm like, well, we have Merlot and Malbec. You know, we can contribute. And next thing you know, Chase is like, well, my grandparents have this tasting room or this building uh-huh. in Leveland, and maybe we should go look at it. And here we go. We started we started a tasting room, and, and we had seven different wines our first year. And uh, the, the Malbec was, was part of that, of that original offering. And so we all put in a ton of Malbec, and uh, we, we turned it into wine. And it was all three on their own are really mm-hmm. good, but man, once once it came together, it was yeah. phenomenal. And it won double gold, best of class at San Francisco. It was the top Malbec in the wine competition, and it won uh, gold at Texom, oh, wow. uh, which which is hard to do, man. Yeah. Anytime that you win gold at Texom, uh, you're you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And um, it also it won several other awards, but it's uh it was it was a phenomenal wine. We still have a couple of cases of it, and. I think I mentioned that, you know, we, we open it up on special occasions or when we're cook, cooking hamburgers and hot dogs out right. on the grill. I yeah. mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it goes with just about anything, but it's, um, it also, it always holds a kind of a special place in our hearts for sure. Well, and is this, was that experience what kind of drove you toward, uh, basically making your own brand for being a winemaker? Yeah, it was. You know, we uh, we we had we had a great experience at, at Trilogy, and and um, and originally, you know, we 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 never got out of it to or got into it to get out of it more than anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, one of our partners came to to us and said, "Hey, we'd like to buy uh, you two out, uh, me and another partner." And we're like, "Okay, well that's." Well, that's weird, but all right. And he's like, well, we said we're starting this own brand and and we really need, you know, a facility and things like that. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. So we, uh, we accepted their offer and, and moved on. And we, we always knew that eventually we would start our own place. And and so it was, it was a good opportunity for us to transition from, from one winery into another. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're starting our own place about, uh, half a mile south of our house and, uh, south of our home vineyard and it'd just be a small tasting room limited to production wines and we planted some tanat right next to the uh to the tasting room so oh that sounds I'll, great we'll have it'll have its own vineyard my wife has has fallen in love with tanat uh-huh. there are several texas wineries that make it yeah and uh she's like i love this grape and she's like find me some vines I'm like, <laughs> all right here yeah. we go so we we planted some tanat for uh, last month Oh wow, that's going to be great. How how long does Tanat usually grow uh take till it starts producing fruit? Uh it's it's already trying to produce fruit, so we have to cut all that stuff off. Yeah, yeah. And uh and just let it focus on being a vine and and growing its root system and its trunk and and all that stuff, but I would say probably in the next 2 to 3 years you you'll probably start to see uh some fruit production off of it. It seems like it's a very vigorous vine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we planted it on 1103P rootstock. Oh, okay. Yep. And uh it seems like it's taken off really well. Okay. Well that I mean, that sounds great. Now, are you are, are did you 
personally get into like how to make wine or are you guys using a contractor or did you hire a winemaker for you or how is that all working out? We, we have a winemaker that makes stuff for us. Okay. Look, I, I grow the fruit and I do the best that I can with it, but I put it in somebody else's hands because they have (laughs) way more knowledge than I do about, about the winemaking process. That's, that seems like a very, uh, like a very, like in a lot of places, like people don't really like everyday wine drinkers don't really think about how much work there is put into the vine and how much work there is put into the wine and and it's a lot of time and there are people who do both but it's it's a lot of work to do both and you have to have so much additional knowledge to be an expert in both areas and so much additional experience that uh it a lot of times makes a lot more sense for you to concentrate on the vines and to hire somebody or partner with somebody who's also going to who's then going to pay that much attention to the wine it you're right it absolutely makes sense and and so many of these people, they they have the education and the training and and the focus and the drive. They 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 can appreciate the fruit that we give them, mm-hmm. you know, because they're they're looking at numbers, they're looking at pHs, and they're looking at TAs and mm-hmm. and brick. And I mean, they 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 like to see those numbers when they come in. But after that, they could care less what I'm doing out in the vineyard, you know. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, they, they, they want me to be on the number whenever, whenever the fruit rolls in. But after that, they're like, man, you know, enjoy your winter time. We'll see we'll see you you again in the the fall. But yeah, yeah, no, we, we have it made, uh, here locally in Lubbock. And, uh, my former, one of my former partners in Trilogy, Mm -hmm. he, uh, he bought into Caprock. Okay. And uh, so our wine is currently being made by the winemaker at the Caprock facility. Okay. All right. I, I think I know that one. I think I read about it in on the Texas Wine Lover blog. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's transitioning over. They're bottling and selling wine as English Newsome Cellars. Okay. And uh, with it, with English being the, the uh, owner of the facility there at, at Caprock mm-hmm. and Newsome being the grape grower and the um, – and the operator of, okay. the, of the facility. Yeah, Newsome I know for sure because I think I've read about Newsome. There's a there's a Texas wine history book that I, I've been reading lately. I think Newsome is mentioned in that several times. Yeah, there, there's Neil Newsome who lives in Plains, and then Steve Newsome who lives in Sundown. Okay, All and right. both of them are phenomenal grape growers. Yeah. I mean, they're they're highly regarded as, as some of the best in the state. Okay, yeah, and that that whole area is is for Texas the kind of like the end all be all of where Texas. Uh, winemaking got started was there at Texas, Texas Tech, which I think was a different school back then, but um, like in the late 70s. That's correct, yeah. Uh, it was Doc McPher- or, uh, uh, Kim McPherson's dad, Doc McPherson, that, that was the original uh, founder of, of Yano. And, oh, okay. uh, and so they, they had planted uh, Sangiovese and a whole variety of different vines mm-hmm. as, as kind of a, a test. And then Kim uh, still owns that, that test vineyard. Oh, uh, cool. It's just it's on the southeast side of Lubbock, and you know we visited every year just to, to go look at it and see what it looks like and check out how his fruit's going. And he's a huge proponent of growing uh, Italian varietals. He he feels mm-hmm. like um, yeah, Italian and Spanish that that these uh, those two those two areas that grapes are grown are very similar to what what's grown here in Lubbock. The conditions. Yeah. Well, I, I've noticed that a lot of uh, a lot of the wines that like, I've had that are, are Texas grown. Tempranillo and Alvarino, uh, 
and uh, Barolo, like a lot of those are outstanding. And, and I taste them. I'm like, how did this never get out of Texas? This is delicious. And then like talking to the winemaker or to the grower, they're like, well, it doesn't get out of here because it's delicious and everybody here <laughs> drinks it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, that kind of uh, brings me to my next question, which is, so you're now getting into winemaking, which I know is a heavily regulated field. And this is a, this is a libertarian podcast. So uh, have you guys had, and, and if you don't feel comfortable answering this, cause I know you guys are still going through the, the process with, uh, licensing and all that sort of stuff. Have you encountered anything that you kind of feel is sort of unreasonable with, uh, obstacles for, uh, getting licensed to be a, uh, winemaker and, uh, if not unreasonable, just has it been an easy process for you? I don't know anybody who's ever gone through it personally. And so I've just always, I've always wondered like, Getting your label approved, getting getting the ability to produce it because it's such a highly regulated industry, and then you have multiple tiers. You've got the federal level, and you've got the state level, uh, and and all of that, uh, and then and new laws coming in, in on Texas too about like uh, tech one hundred percent Texas grown certifications and things like that. Have you run into anything that? I mean, I guess I wouldn't even say that was onerous or, or like a heavy obstacle, but what, what is that whole process like? Sure. So, you know, we've kind of gone through it a little bit with Trilogy, but we had hired a lawyer to do that for us. So, oh, okay. I mean, so that person was solely responsible for submitting all of our applications and, and filing paperwork and things like that. And I particularly didn't want to do that at this time. I wanted to learn more about the process and, and what it was like. And mm-hmm. so my wife and I, we started researching it and figured figured out that, you know, you have to you have to do this and you have to do that. And and being part of, you know, of another winery in the past also helped because, you know, you're all you're already familiar with a lot of these people and these processes of, you know, submitting applications to through COLA and mm-hmm. uh, TTB regulations and, and things like that. And and so it was it, it wasn't nearly as cumbersome or as challenging as it would be for somebody who, who was getting into it for the first time. So it certainly helped by being um, part of a, a facility and an operation before. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it's not that daunting. It just, it's time consuming. You have to go through each step and you have to make sure that you're entering the information correctly. And, uh, you have to, you have to know a lot of terms, uh, things that we were privileged to be able to learn before. And, um, you know, the, the process for getting federally approved took 94 days and that had nothing to do with us. It's just a backlog. Right. And uh, the amount of uh, workforce that's able to be able to take care of, of each application and, and to review it. And then the application for uh, TABC takes anywhere from 30 to 45 days. And, you know, we're, we're about halfway through that process at this moment where we've uh, we've already submitted our paperwork and and uh, they already they already have all of our information on file. So now we're just waiting for approval. But, you know, for TTB, um, yeah, there there are several hurdles that, that you have to you have to jump through and you have to you have to have an answer. You have to be able to explain to uh, you know the the person that's that's reviewing your application and you know they have to be able to uh, to understand what your what your concept is and what your thinking is. And um, I mean, you even have to provide financial details about you know how much how much money did you get from from the bank for your loan to be able to uh, to start this business. So I mean, you. You have to step out there and provide some information, and I think a lot of people are are very um, um, I won't say closed minded, but they're very personal. They they don't want to give out a lot of a lot of that private information, and mm-hmm. to them that would that almost be a uh, you know almost a privacy concern for them. But you know, for us, we're like, hey, we we already uh, we already have one sitting in a bottle that's in a shiner that's you know sitting over at Caprock that's unlabeled, and uh, we kind of need to get this process going. So oh, yeah. let's. Uh, 
let's get this thing started. We really don't care what kind of questions you have for us. Whatever you know, whatever into your you need, you know, here we are. We've we've got that information. Okay, that I, that that's good that it wasn't that, that difficult. Like I, I've had you know some experiences with various levels of government where sometimes you know they lose your paperwork or they ask you all sure. this stuff that doesn't make sense or the pay, or the forms don't make any sense. But once you get approved and you're and you're a certified grower and all that sort of stuff, um, if you want to make a new wine, do you have to submit your labels every single time to get approved? How does that process work? Every single time. Oh, okay. So every single yeah. time, even if you're not making a new wine, if, even if it's no, okay. No, I mean, so let, let's just say that for the 2017 vintage, which is what we're working with for our Merlot, mm-hmm. uh, we had to we had to go ahead and submit the label to Cola for approval, which is part of TTB. Okay. And um, and so they they look at it. They make sure that it has alcohol percentage. It has year. It has name. It has your business name. It shows exactly where it was grown. So for us, it was Hawkeye County, Texas High Plains. Mm-hmm. So on our label, we make sure that we clearly put Hawkeye County, Texas High Plains because that's where it was grown. Okay. You know, if it was um, if it was uh, half of half of grown here in the Texas High Plains and half grown in the Texas Hill Country, and they took two Merlots and they put them together, then they would just call it Texas. Okay. And if it came from from out of state, then it would be called American. I mean, so. Mm-hmm. On that label, you have to be specific about what you know, what you've got in the bottle, and um, and how and where it was grown, because they they want the truth in labeling to to reflect that. They don't want to, you to be able to you know deceive the customer and say, hey, look, this was grown right here in Lubbock, Texas, and you know it really wasn't. So right, right, okay. All that inf- all that information has to be clearly uh, clearly shown on the label. Mm, okay, and so and then so now when you get this Tanat going through, you'll have to submit a Tanat label as well, and and they'll have to approve that. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And 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 so for the 2018 vintage, we'll have to go ahead and resubmit a label. Oh. And it's and it's not. I mean, it's not nearly as difficult because all you're doing is changing the year. Okay. And uh, so I mean, because the 2017 Merlot is going to be exactly like the 2018 Merlot, mm-hmm. and so you just change the year, and the approval is you know 50 times faster than it was on an original label because they already have you on file and they just look at the previous label versus the new label and they're like okay 17 18 alcohol content changed a little bit sure okay granted done and okay. they push it on through it's so much faster okay well that, that actually that doesn't sound nearly as bad <laughs> as bad as i like in my mind i'm like you've got all these spooks like hanging out at your vineyard like inspecting all no, the grapes and that sort no. of thing <laughs> and very rarely do you get audited where they come out and they're like all right let's Test the Merlot to make sure you have a hundred percent Merlot in yeah. here, or eighty percent Merlot and twenty percent Malbec. Right. So yeah, okay. um, man, they once once they submit once you submit that into them, I think they fully trust that you're actually putting what you say is is in the bottle. Yeah, they they, which, they probably have way more work than they could deal with anyways. <laughs> so. I, I think that's absolutely true too, man. I mean, so I'm. I'm not saying that you can get away with things, yeah, you know, quote yeah. unquote, right. but <laughs> I think they really trust that you're actually putting in there what you say you're putting in there. All right. Okay. Well, that uh, that that's uh, I think that's really interesting. This is the first time I think I've talked that much with a with an actual producer about uh, the regulatory process. And I, I we we you know Mason and I, my co-host, we always we kind of read about this stuff a lot. And we're always like, well, this sounds ridiculous to me. And uh, <laughs> but uh, it. 
it coming from somebody who's actually experienced it, it doesn't sound as bad. <laughs> so. No, we we've never really had any problems. I mean, of course they they send us an email back and they're like, change the font size here, so it's from six point to seven point, or you know whatever. Okay. Right. And and so you're like, okay, well that was stupid. But all right, <laughs> I'll do that. Right. You know if that if that gets my label approved, I will yeah, change absolutely. the font size one point. To, yeah make you happy you know okay well uh i got i got one last question for you uh rowdy before we move on and that is, well actually let me let me do two two last questions the last one will be uh what are your plans for bull and vineyards and now winery going forward uh i mean you, you mentioned that you're going to do tonight do you have any any other grapes that you're really excited to try out uh what do you, what are your what is your vision for Bullen, Bullen Family Vineyards and Winery. So for uh, for this year, we'll have four different wines. We uh, will have uh, when we open in in July or August. Uh, we'll have a uh, Merlot that's from 2017 that is absolutely phenomenal, and I guarantee that um, when we submit it to uh, some of the award competitions, I'm going to win a belt buckle nice. or a saddle or <laughs> some some really big award because this Merlot is is really phenomenal. We mm-hmm. we held it to 27 and a half brick. Uh, it's the longest that we've ever had it uh, held onto it, and so it it. It hung out on the vines between 25 brick and 27 for about another two to three weeks. So it got way more hang time, way more sun exposure. And I can't tell you what a huge difference it made uh, between the 2016 vintage and the 2017 vintage. It's, it is absolutely crazy. So we, we kind of know what our standard and what our mark is, where we want to shoot to. And um, the three other wines that will be part of our, our original release will be a um, – a dry muscat, which oh, okay. I know a lot. Of, a lot of people have never experienced a dry muscat before. Yeah, I've never. And it is it is great. And then we'll have a sweet muscat, and then we'll have a kind of a, a blend of a, a, a. It's almost like a semi. It's almost like a semi-sweet rosé blush style wine. So mm-hmm. it's it's like half and half. You you get a little bit of the dryness, but you get a little hint of strawberry. Okay. Um, on, on the end, so it's it's really kind of unique. It'll it'll be a fun wine. I I think people will really appreciate it in hot weather. Okay. And that For, on that dry muscat, what what's the alcohol level on that? Because you probably have to ferment that a lot longer. Um, you know, it's nearly it's not nearly as bad. It's probably in the thirteen range. Oh, that's um, yeah, that's I'd nothing. Have, okay. I'd have to go back and look at the label, but it's nothing like the merlot which is like 15 and a half okay oh wow okay i mean so the merlot is pretty hot like you probably only can drink a couple of glasses <laughs> before you have to take a step back and say okay uh, calf rope i'm done for a minute like yeah. you know i think we're gonna we're gonna have to be um very uh we're we're, we're gonna have to be very controlling when we hand out glasses of, of merlot at the at the winery because I think it can kind of get to people's heads really quickly with that high alcohol yeah, content. Yeah, especially with Merlot because that's not one that you think of as being that hot. And yeah, uh, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> that, that sounds I like mean, a Merlot for me. <laughs> it's it's the high brick. Whenever yeah. you high, when you hold it to a higher brick like that, when it's twenty seven, yeah, then man, you push that alcohol content way way up. Wow. If okay. it's if it's a twenty five brick, then it's it's in the low fourteens. If mm-hmm. it's a twenty six brick, it's in the high fourteens. And twenty seven. Now you're you're pushing it over fifteen percent alcohol. Wow. Okay. That, that I think that's going to be good. I'm going to have to come out. This, that's this July that you guys are going to open up. Yeah. We're, we're hoping to op- open up sometime uh, this July. I'm going to I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that and drive out 
like plan my Lubbock trip for that that time. Come down to your guys' tasting room because that sounds awesome, dude. And and we we won't be any distribution. We won't we'll be in a few select restaurants, but you know we'll only have a hundred cases and we're low, so it'll be limited production, limited release, and kind of kind of a special thing where you're not just offering it to a million people like a select few get to get to taste your wine and and uh you know you you really get to experience that because you get to see the smile on their face and 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 the enjoyment after they after they try it and just kind of that wild shock factor like holy cow you grew this a half a mile north of here and you're like yep (laughs) yes i did yeah so yeah and and that's going to shock a lot of people because i think that texas is still uh, coming into its own as as people recognizing that this is a great place to grow grapes and a great place to produce world class wines, um, and and that's I think you're going to be able to showcase a lot of that. I think it's going to be really 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 cool. <laughs> I think so as well too, man. And and for 2019, we'll we'll plant some more tonight for for my wife. We'll finish out uh, her planting and uh, and then we'll start looking at growing a white grape because we don't have any white grapes that we grow. Everything that we we source right now is is from other growers and. Okay. And uh, so, I mean, it, it's good to be able to use local, uh, locally grown stuff. But man, it sure is nice to is when it when it's one of your own and, and oh, you I'm can sure. call it your own and say, hey, look, this is something that we grew. But we we've always we've always been, I guess, gun shy about growing white grapes, even though our Malbec has ten white grape plants in it. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess at Inland Desert at the nursery there in Washington, they had. Uh, one plant that that produced uh, it, it kind of went rogue in the mother block, and so we we have ten white grape plants, and they produce about ten pounds each of fruit, hmm. and which is just stupid. And yeah, do you know what they are? And uh, I have no clue, man. Oh, okay. I sent him a picture of the leaf and the and the uh, fruit cluster. Yeah, uh, you know, once once it had ripened, and he's like, it either looks like riesling or it looks like chardonnay or it looks like this, and I'm like, huh. dude, come on, like which one is it? He's like. <laughs> I have no idea. He's and then like two weeks later, he calls me and he's like, "Rowdy, you're not going to believe this." He's like, "Another grower who also bought Malbec in 2012 also has these rogue white grapes that are growing in their in their Malbec as well too." He's like, "I have no clue what these are." Huh? And so I'll, I'll probably send off a, a tissue sample to uh, UC Davis, okay. and uh, and they'll be able to uh, you know to run it through their computer system and uh, and break it apart and really tell you which what variety it is. And once we figure that out, man, I'm planting the hell out of that thing because it grows a lot of fruit and it is yeah. so pretty. They're like they're like little. They're about the size of of like the old iPhone four. Yeah, you know, like like that that small. You know, before they came out with the with yeah. the sixes, and so it's like a small iPhone four, but it's like a little grenade, and it is white. I mean, it's just a white grape, and the birds don't touch it because the birds think that it's unmature fruit, and they just leave it alone. Oh man, that sounds great. Oh, man, I mean, I'm so it, curious to know what it is. That's so interesting, <laughs> man. If, if you go back and you look at my Instagram last year or the year uh-huh. before, you'll you'll be okay. able to just kind of scroll through the feed. You'll be able to see them because I post about them all the time, and I'm like the hell is this thing and and i have followers from all over the world on instagram and you know guys from australia are like man that's chardonnay i guarantee it and, okay. and guys from uh from california they're like no that's that's this and i'm like no yeah. i have no idea what this thing <laughs> is but yeah it, you know if i can ever pinpoint it and figure it out man I, like i said i'm planting the hell out of it so man that sounds um, that sounds awesome in a, in about 2020 we'll we'll see what it is see if we can't plant a, a half acre of it and and kind of get it rolling because it's it produces phenomenal fruit, man. And I I'm eager. I, I keep trying to, and we got wiped out this year. And I keep trying to to take you know these hundred pounds of, of fruit and 
and take it to the winery and just get the winemaker to, you know, just do like a homebrew kind of deal, you yeah. know, where he's throwing a little wild yeast on there and, and uh, just kind of making it into his own and just, I, I, I'm curious, man. I want to try it. I want to taste yeah. it. I want to see what it, what it's like. So, I mean, a hundred pounds is not a whole lot of fruit to, to really do anything with, but, um, you know, for, for a winemaker, they can, they can work their magic and, yeah. and see, and see what, what its potential could be. Well, I know that like, you know, back, I, I, I'm from California, but I, I lived in Virginia for a while and there's some people out there in Virginia who go and pick, you know, wild American grapes, not, not vitiviniferous, but the American style. And they make like a five gallon jug of, of grapes just you know, so you can make a, a, a five gallon jug of whatever that wine is. And if a winemaker is doing it, it's probably going to turn out well. Not like, not like that, not like what they're producing. <laughs> uh, so, I understand that. Yeah. So I, I, that would be, that would be really cool. I, I'm, I'm very curious. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best when you guys open up. I'm going to come out there to Lubbock because there's a couple other wineries out there that I wanted to visit as well. Uh, so my last question for you, Rowdy, is do you ever need any unknowledgeable manual labor to help you do harvest or plant or anything like that? Because I love doing that kind of thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. What what little fruit we have out this year, we're probably going to try to hand harvest it and we'll just do a wild field blend of whatever it is. Okay. You know, if it's a half a ton of Merlot and a half a ton of Malbec, you know, and just try to make, you know, 50 cases or whatever and Dude, you talk about ultra limited production. <laughs> That's like a hundred dollars a bottle kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, man, when when we uh, when we when we start to harvest, and yeah, I'll, I'll probably post on Instagram and and Twitter and say, hey, look, now's the time to come help us. And uh, you know, when when we finish, I promise we'll go grab a glass of wine over at the winery and we'll just hang and chill and talk you know talk about life and and what um what's going on and show definitely show some appreciation for uh for you guys coming out and helping well that sounds great i i definitely will plan to, to do that i've got a very flexible job these days so i can i can usually take those trips and i love doing that kind of thing so awesome man uh do you, do you have anything that you want to plug for the listeners anywhere that they can reach out to you if they want to or I, you said right now you don't your wines are not really widely available but uh i guess they'd probably want to follow you on instagram and twitter just to keep an eye out for when it does become available yeah sure so they can they can follow us on instagram and twitter um our handle for both is at boland vineyards so we were fortunate enough to be able to get the same same twitter and instagram account you know which which is always which is always handy yeah it is and then we have have a facebook account as well too which is also boland vineyards so all three of them are the exact same um the exact same handle and then I took our website down because it was primarily focused on the grape growing process. But now that we're starting our own uh, tasting room and winery, then I have to uh, rebuild it and, you know, make it a little bit more uh, e-commerce friendly. So okay. it's it's currently not available, but it will be here pretty soon. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. You're my first Texas winemaker and grower. So man, that's that's absolutely scary, dude. That <laughs> I'm the first guy. I mean, like there, like William Chris, who we sell grapes to. I mean, like, yeah. you should definitely be talking to Chris Brundrett. You know what? I've been trying to get. I, I've got a lot of people. Uh, I've been talking to the owners of Coleman Cellars and Coleman's uh, good. Yeah, man, they're I like very those good. Guys, yeah, uh, uh, Torna Locks um, and a couple others, and they're all willing to come on. But I just haven't been able to pin them down. Every all of them are so busy, and obviously, you know, it, it, when I was when I was reaching out to them, it was around planting season so they were all busy doing planting and, and that kind of thing so um, right but 
Uh, I'm glad I pinned you down, and I think this was a great first interview for Texas. I've done, I, like I said, I've done others. I had a winemaker in Portland a little while ago, and I had a, bi- a biodynamic grower in Southern Oregon, um, and he was real interesting. But uh, this is this is what this is definitely what I want to uh, focus on with our shows, just because I live in Texas, and I think what's going on in Texas is so exciting. Well, I think I think you're kind of at the cusp of what what can be and what will be. Yeah, you know what what you saw and, and how. And I'm not saying that we're we're gonna be Napa, um, but I, I think I think you can kind of see where where we're headed, and and we recognize that fruit quality has has to be better. Yeah, you know, for the longest time, you know, Texas. I'm taking a screenshot on my on my iPad, so just. Oh, sure. Bear with me. <laughs> uh, if, it, if you hear the clicking sound on the iPad, you know exactly what's going on. All right. But, um, you know, for the longest time, you know, Texas did not produce enough fruit uh, for, for these Texas wineries. Yeah. And uh, and now, you know, you're starting to see a whole lot more fruit uh, grown grown by Texas growers. And a lot of it is, is good, and a, a lot of it is not all that great, man. So I, I think, you know, from us, from my standpoint, I want to learn more about how other people in other regions grow fruit and I, and that's why I have so many uh, that's why I follow so many people on Twitter and Instagram is because I can appreciate their way of growing fruit and why they do things mm-hmm. and it just makes me a better grower because I'm I'm trying to trying to educate myself more than anything sure. and say okay all right I get why they do this and I get why they do that how can we incorporate that and how can that make my vineyard and the fruit that we grow uh, that much better so yeah. Um, I think if you're open to to learning and understanding other people's concepts and their style of growing, even though it may be different than what you do, mm-hmm. man, it just gives you a better appreciation and it gives you something to strive for. And I think a lot of people in Texas, you know, they, uh, I'd say probably 75% of the growers in Texas, they're striving to produce premium, high quality fruit because, you know, for the longest time, Texas grapes were made with, with uh, leftover juice that was, that was not wanted. Yeah. I'm not naming names here, but, um, (laughs) you know, for, for the longest time, it was, it was called Texas wine, but it really wasn't made in Texas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so now it's, it's our opportunity as Texas growers to, to step up and say, okay, and we've got it, we've got to perfect our growing techniques and, and make better fruit. And I think a a lot of the growers in this area are really stepping up and, and saying, okay, what, what do we have to do? Asking the winemakers, say, what do we have to do to make better fruit? What can I do to to give you good fruit and, mm-hmm. and um, educating themselves? And I, I think that's pretty awesome. It is awesome. I, it's it's so it's such a privilege for me to have moved here during this time and in, in how how Texas is starting to grow and mature as a, as a wine region. Uh, I, I think that's it for me. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to put in there, Rowdy? No, man. I think that's it, dude. I've I've enjoyed visiting with you. It's a lot right. of fun. Yeah, I, I look forward I, to visiting with you again. Yep, and I, I look forward to coming out and helping you and visit with you in person. Awesome, man. Take care. All right, take it easy. Down Winston, tan down door, drinking Afghans and calling for more. Drinking wine, forty to drink wine. Wine, forty to drink wine. Wine, forty to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy, drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. The age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, 40 you to drink wine. Bye, bye. 
Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Port and sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drank a wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Wine for the other day. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some by fifth and some by fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for the other day. Wine for the other day. Wine for the other day. Wine for the other day.